Hi, I'm Mark Brody, and this is the Friday Newscap Podcast. Each week, we review the biggest stories with experts, reporters, and commentators to put the news in perspective. Here's this week's episode. Good morning. It's the show here on KJZZ 91.5 in Phoenix. I'm Mark Brody. Coming up, why Valley sports teams are some of the least expensive to go watch in person. And tis the season for everything pumpkin spice. We'll hear about an unusual challenge. But first, it is time for the Friday Newscap and some voices from the news this week. I encourage you to vote. Our democracy is stronger when everybody votes. My opponent wants to make that harder for everybody. Are you trying to make things harder for people to vote? I want to make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. I want universal voter ID. You have a candidate for governor in Carrie Lake. You have a candidate for secretary of state in Mark Fincham, both of whom have said, this isn't a surprise, it's not a secret. They both said that they will only honor the results of an election if they agree with it. There is no sense of clarity for doctors to know whether they can provide essential care and no way for patients to know if they can receive that care in Arizona. So we brought this lawsuit to ask the court to clarify what the law is. We're also expecting roughly double the number of total ballots that we'll receive. We received about 860,000 for the August 2022 primary. We'll probably receive more than 1.6 million for the general election. And with me to talk about last night's U.S. Senate debate, Congresswoman Liz Cheney's comments about a pair of Arizona candidates and more, are Chuck Coughlin of High Ground. Good morning, Chuck. Morning, Mark. Good to be with you. Good to have you here. And Don Penish-Thacker of Agave Strategy. Don, good to have you as well. Thank you so much. So, uh, Chuck, I did not uh, see you live tweeting last night's uh, U.S. Senate <laughs> debate. I assume, though, that you uh, did watch at least some of it. What did you make of it? You know, I really wasn't surprised by much of it. It was a, a healthy exchange between uh, the two candidates. What, what did surprise me was Mark Victor, the independent I was completely entertained by him last night. The libertarian candidate. Sort of throwing shade on both guys up there. And uh, he reminded me like of a better Saul, better call Saul type candidate. Uh, And I was amused by him. But that was sort of a sideshow. The rest of it, I thought thought Mark did a good job uh, of presenting. I I particularly like the the line where he goes, uh, we all know guys like this. And he had a nice little speech after that. And I thought, you know, uh, Masters wants to run against Biden. So the whole narrative there was, this is Biden, that I'm running against Biden. And I, you know, he successfully planted that idea. I don't know, though, that uh, the broader electorate buys that. So, Don, when I uh, checked my email uh, before going to bed last night, within about nine minutes of each other, I got uh, we all got emails from the Masters campaign and the Kelly campaign claiming they had each won the debate, um, <laughs> which I guess is not surprising. Uh, what, what were your takeaways from from last night? I was actually surprised that Masters didn't try harder or at least wasn't successful at moderating more. I think he started out at the beginning better. But, you know, as we neared the second half and certainly at the end, you you heard the conspiracies about the FBI selling our ballots to China and you saw him fumbling trying to walk a line between having called abortion demonic 
saying that he is pro-life, but also saying that he's in favor of a 15-week ban. So he just kind of melted down by the end, is what I think. Well, Chuck, I want to ask you about the, the abortion question, because a lot has been made, rightly or wrongly, about, let's say, changes to uh, Master's rhetoric and his website about where he stands on abortion. And he was asked directly by Ted Simons last night about changing his website and where he stands. And it, it seems like he he in parts of it, he answered, but parts of it, he also didn't answer. Right. I mean, he's he's well disciplined <laughs> about what he's saying. Uh, we all know that he's changed his position on that, you know, from uh, the personhood position that he was holding on to during the primary to now he's embracing the Lindsey Graham idea of the 15 week ban. I think he knows that that's not tenable with the electorate uh, and his numbers are showing. And I think Kelly's numbers are both showing that women are departing his candidacy or not considering him and, and they're going to Mark. Um, and so he's tried to morph that position. Uh, and, you know, like a good politician, he's going to he's going to stick to his narrative and not going to acknowledge that it shifted. Don, was this the kind of event last night, given where we think the race stands based on polling and what we know about uh, fundraising numbers and, and money numbers? Is this the kind of event that Masters maybe had? It was maybe a bigger night for Masters than it was for Kelly? I think it was probably the biggest night for Mark, the libertarian, who I agree with Chuck. He, he was definitely the highlight and the only one who uh, I think brought something that we weren't expecting to see um, by being so forthright with all of his criticisms. Um, you know, this debate about debates has been really, you know, energetic this year. I don't think that last night moved anyone worth kind of calculating into the equation. Folks have their mind made up. Um, I don't think we saw anything different than what we expected to see, even with, you know, masters having flip-flopped on positions and trying to moderate. I don't think that came through. So I wouldn't call it a big night for anybody, really. Chuck, would you agree that that nobody really landed a, a knockout blow, didn't really change the, the course of the, of the race? Well, Masters needed to do that. I mean, he clearly needed to land a shot. At the beginning there, you saw that Mark was sort of nervous. He was, you know, palpably uh, unsettled in the way he was. And they started on the immigration issue and inflation, which are the most difficult issues for him to handle, because there's no denying that the Biden administration has been responsible for both of those things. And so he got through that period and sort of recovered his feet. But I don't think anybody landed a blow. I, I, you know, what you look for in these things, I think Don's right. Most people who are watching him already have made up their mind. And what you're looking for from a campaign perspective is a, uh, a second or two or a soundbite that you can capture that allows you to frame it within digital media and narrate the debate from that point. And I didn't see anybody fumble. I, I didn't see anybody really fumble that badly um, or strike a blow on the other hand. It was a fairly, fairly uniform appearance. So, Chuck, nothing you don't expect to see anything from last night necessarily in a, a, a viral moment or a, a TV ad or anything going forward? No, the, the closest thing I said that I thought was we all know a guy like this. And, mm -hmm. and I chuckled when he said that uh, because and then he had a had a big had a paragraph that, you know, guys who know better than us, guys who always want to tell us, you know, want to know better than doctors, you know, and, and that's that's a sign of humility on Mark's part. 
but it does cap it does adequately capture the Blake's position on issues and who he comes across as. And so I thought it was good. I would see perhaps something coming of that, but I'd just move on if I was Kelly because Kelly's narrative to date has been solid. It's, you know, he's running as an Arizonan. He's not running as a Democrat. He's, you know, he's articulating his support for bipartisan legislation. He's acknowledging the problems on the border. He's acknowledged the problems with inflation. He says he's working on them. Uh, and, you know, I think he I think he with a with an incumbency of two years underneath him, I think he's established his identity with the uh, with the electorate pretty well. Don, do you agree? Not really expecting to see any viral moments coming from last night's debate? Yeah, I agree completely with Chuck. I think that that line about we all know that guy. I mean, I was listening to that and I thought, yep. That that strikes with me. That resonates with me. But other than that, I think, you know, we just keep trucking ahead. All right. So, Don, let me ask you about a a current member of Congress, the other chamber from the one we were just talking about. Liz Cheney was in Arizona this week for an event uh, hosted by the McCain Institute. And she came out pretty hard against uh, gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake, secretary of state candidate Mark Fincham. Uh, Cheney basically said, I don't think I've ever voted for a Democrat in my life, but if I lived in Arizona, I sure would vote against these two. What do you make of of the comments that that she made and comments that she had previously made that she would work to make sure that someone like Carrie Lake is not elected? Yeah, well, she, based on her appearance recently, she is keeping that promise. Um, It struck me in her talk, which was well attended and well received, that she continued to say that we are facing a moment unlike any we ever have in our democracy and that these individuals in particular are the greatest threat to our democracy, both nationally and for Arizonans. Um, And so she's definitely, you know, she's following through on her word to paint that picture and to get that across as what someone who is considered a reasonable, moderate Republican, someone that many of us feel like we can identify with, we are in families with and, and neighbors with. Chuck, Mark Fincham's, uh, among his responses to those comments were, basically, I'm going to paraphrase, Liz Cheney has no credibility. Um, Is he right, at least among some prospective voters? Oh, yeah. He's absolutely correct about that with uh, Republican primary voters. Um, It's it's a there's a good chunk of it there, Mark, that um, just completely disavow her. Uh, Look at her as a traitor. And, um, you know, that's your Republican primary audience. It's not where we are right now. We're in a general election. And as Don just said, you have a majority of the electorate uh, looking at all these candidates and a narrative that she's establishing or supporting here that as a conservative Republican, and nobody would doubt her conservative credentials, right? She's Dick Cheney's daughter, for God's sake. Uh, and, you know, she is uh, she's narrating a to a part of the electorate that's critically important in this cycle. And that's unaffiliated voters and parts of the Republican Party who are who have become disenchanted with Trump. And so there's probably 10 to 15 percent of Republicans and a vast majority of unaffiliated voters uh, who you have to win in order to win a statewide election. You have to win these unaffiliated voters that are going to listen to that. And, it, and it's going to be resonate an important message. And of course, they don't participate in the primary. They participate in the general. So it's a good narrative line. It's, it was good to have her come out here and talk to the electorate and express that. But Mr. Fincham's right. He, the base of his party absolutely disavows her. 
Well, Chuck, let me dig a little bit deeper on that, because one of the the arguments that a lot of folks in the sort of political world have been making is that, for example, for Katie Hobbs to win, for uh, Adrian Fontes to win, they have to be able to convince Republicans who maybe, like Cheney, have never voted for Democrats before to do so this time. Does Liz Cheney, do, do her comments, does her coming out and saying this, does this maybe give some of those Republicans cover? Does it make them think, well, maybe it's not so bad to vote for a Democrat, at least just this one time? Yeah. I mean, that's the messaging. You know, it, it's hard. I mean, it's hard for Republicans who are loyal Republicans to go down the ticket um, and go, yeah, maybe I'm going to vote for Kelly, you know, but then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to vote for my Republican congressman. Um, and then you get into the statewide offices. And it's hard, Mark, because, you know, Republicans, it's it's a tribe and you're going outside the tribe. And so to do that, you need special motivation to do that. You need a special circumstance. And what Cheney and others uh, are trying to depict here is that democracy itself is at stake, that this this idea of disavowing the 20 election, this idea of not accepting the results of this election unless you agree with them, you know, this whole assault on democracy is a critical juncture for the country. And our entire the Republican top, the top of the entire Republican ticket is there. They, you know, they've said they don't embrace the 20 site, the 20 election results, that they wouldn't have certified them if they were in office. And so it's a legitimate point for people to raise and try and focus on. But the question becomes, what do voters focus on? Right. Are voters focusing on inflation? Are they voters on, on immigration? Are they going to focus on democracy? Are they going to fo- focus on, um, you know, reproductive rights? I mean, that's the big question. And the more volume you can put underneath that in a narrative of a campaign, if you're the Democrats, the better, because it's going to draw that issue to the top of the fold. My guests this morning are Don Penish-Thacker of Agave Strategy and Chuck Coughlin of High Ground. Don, I want to ask you about a new lawsuit filed this week over uh, the state's abortion laws and some of the confusion related to that. Uh, This is uh, from a, a, a group of, of doctors, essentially. The ACLU is involved. From a political perspective, obviously the abortion issue, we talked about it with the U.S. Senate debate last night. This is clearly such a big issue for so many voters and so many candidates. Does this particular lawsuit change anything, do you think? Uh, I mean, in terms of kind of political predictions for November, it keeps people who care the most about this topic kind of eyes on the prize, right? Eyes on the ball uh, by keeping it in the headlines, by showing that the people who provide this healthcare, who are the experts in these fields, that they are continuing to try to get clarity. I think that that keeps this the hot topic that it is. So by not sitting back and just saying, we'll figure out you know, what the legislature says, it, it keeps everyone motivated. And so in that way, I think that yes, another lawsuit continues to factor in. Is there also a sense there, Don, that maybe like folks who are supportive of abortion rights are continuing to try to do something, um, you know, even if this lawsuit doesn't end up going anywhere, even if it's not even heard until after Election Day, there's at least a perception of trying trying to do something about an issue that folks care about. Yeah, absolutely. Keeping people mobilized, keeping them, you know, excited about what you're working on, whether you're a candidate, a campaign or an organization 
or an organization. And, and this will, you know, go beyond the election. It will go beyond, you know, the convening of the next legislature, I think, on this issue in particular, regardless of what a judge decides, regardless of who wins the governorship. Um, you will see, especially in Arizona, people, grassroots and organizations continuing to put this together, perhaps in the form of an initiative um, and certainly all of the various legislative options that are going to be out there. Chuck, abortion and access to abortion is clearly has clearly become a really, really big topic for a lot of races, a lot of candidates, a lot of voters. Does this lawsuit change that at all? Does it move the narrative in one way or another, do you think? No, it's good. It's it's a solid point because there's two narratives going on right now. The this narrative that the 15 week abortion ban is actually the law of the land, and then you have the const, you know the territorial law. And I I mean I, I know the law was written by the Center for Arizona Policy to preserve the territorial law. It was written into the statute, and the governor and others are trying to prevaricate uh, to minimize the electoral downsides of the decision to say that the 15-week ban is the law. It's not, and it will not be ruled that way. I'm confident, I'm, I bet a lot on it, that that's what's gonna happen. And this two dueling narratives is what's at stake here. Um, and we need clarity, the electorate needs clarity. If they get that before the election, which I think would be good for Democrats to get that uh, clarification, and I think they're, they're right to ask the court for clarity because there's a whole nother narrative going on here that's just not true. Well, in addition to the the political clarity, Chuck, it seems as though there are a whole lot of people who really like this is a really important thing for them. And and just sort of for their lives to have some amount of clarity would also be pretty helpful, I would think. Yeah. I mean, I'm clear, Mark. I I believe the territorial law is the law of the land right now. There's no question in my mind knowing what I know about the law that was written and passed by the legislature. And that clarity needs to be clear for the electorate, needs to be clear for women who are trying to protect you know, reproductive rights uh, and clarify this debate because it is a very important point. I mean, what Lindsey Graham tried to do nationally was a political play to give Republicans air cover of some reasonable position. You saw that last night with Masters trying to portray his position, his new position, as the reasonable position and as Kelly's as being extreme. Uh, and that that's the that's the consequence of this decision right now. And they're right to pursue an answer. And I hope they get it because I'm pretty confident what the outcome of that decision will be. Don, as early ballots are set to be mailed out not that long from now, um, safe to say that that abortion, abortion rights and access to abortion care will continue to be for some number of voters, if not the top issue, like top two or three. Yeah, there are a lot of voters out there in across the parties who identify this as their top issue. You can see it out there. You know, you feel it when you're at different events and rallies and things like that. But I, I do want to also say that if it was the only or the overriding issue, then we wouldn't see some of these close uh, excuse me, races being as close as they are when we look at polling. So, you know, when you have two extremes, even though, again, these flip-flops keep happening, when you have an extreme of, you know, Kathy, uh, Katie Hobbs has always said that she respects and protects a woman's right to choose. And then Lake, who says that abortion is the greatest sin 
by mankind, but their races are as tight as they are in the polls, then you know that people really are accounting for other issues that they care about. So yes, they absolutely care about reproductive rights and access to abortion, but something is bringing these polls to be closer together. And so I think like Chuck was saying, there's the economy, there's immigration. And so it's up there, but it's not the only thing up there. Sure. So, guys, just a couple minutes left. I want to ask you each about uh, another lawsuit uh, filed this week uh, from the uh, Republican National Committee, the Arizona Republican Party, suing Maricopa County over poll worker hiring, basically saying you're not hiring enough Republicans and these polling places are not uh, are not following state law in terms of having equal numbers of each party's. Now, Chuck, the the caveat here, of course, you've done a good amount of work for the county over the years. But I'm curious, like what you make of this, the county's response is this is a political stunt and you know, you gave us a list of people that you thought should do these jobs. We called them all and a lot of them didn't want to do it. Right. I mean, my understanding of what's going on here is that the Republican Party put in a request for records, uh, probably the wrong spot. It didn't get responded to. And then the the uh, party decided to sue. Um, and now the, the Tom, Liddy, the county uh, attorney, the civil attorney for Tom the county Liddy, is yeah. responding and I think it'll get resolved. Um, it's unfortunate. It's bad communication between the RNC and the county. Um, and there was some cracks, the things that fell through the cracks. But the, the, and, you know, the, the county's responding as they should to say, why the heck would four Republican county supervisors not abide by those rules? Uh, and a county recorder who is uh, who's a Republican as well. I, I suspect it's just going to blow up in smoke and go away here in the next couple of weeks and they'll resolve this issue. Don, what do you think? You know, uh, my input here is anecdotal. I have actually worked as an election worker, as a poll worker, huh. multiple years um, under Democratic county recorders and under Republican county recorders. And I just rolled my eyes at this because every time I have served in that capacity, it is with the most serious, the most sincere, the most responsible members of you know the public voters who are giving up 14 hours of their life That's a lot a of times day, yeah. you get there at 5 a.m. you don't leave until you know close to midnight a lot of times and it has in my experience always been the appropriate split of republicans democrats and independents and regardless of party everyone shows up and sticks to the same goal of having everyone vote, making sure that everything goes according to plan. I have always been nothing but impressed by how smooth and responsible the entire process is. So all of this is just silliness as far as I'm concerned. All right. On that note of silliness, we'll have to wrap this conversation up. That is Don (laughs) Penish-Sacker of Agave Strategy, Chuck Coughlin of High Ground. Guys, thanks for uh, being here. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. Have a great week. You've been listening to the Friday Newscap from KJZZ's The Show. It's an original podcast recapping the week's biggest stories with experts, commentators, and reporters. You can get the full show podcast at podcast.kjzz.org. I'm Mark Brody. Thanks for listening.